You might not know it, but some of the bravest people in the entire world are about to show their bravery in a few weeks. And that is every middle schooler and high schooler who's about to walk back into those school halls, walk back into uh, lunchrooms and locker rooms, and to hallways and do homecomings, and all of the pressure that is all of those eyeballs looking at you as a young person trying to figure out who you are in the world while not everybody around you has filters, uh, the same kind of filters that develop over time. Now, not all those filters develop over time, but, but there's more wide open speech about whatever is on your mind that might happen in a middle school hallway. And so maybe you might remember what it felt like to have all those eyes staring at you and have people whispering and you're like, are they whispering about me? And how scary that felt and how much it felt like you might get hurt at any moment. Now, many of us did not experience those moments when there was social media and you didn't get to just leave school and be away from that peering pressure. But to live with that and to decide, am I going to get hurt today? And we have all developed strategies probably from those years to try to shield us from hurt and protect ourselves so we don't get hurt in the world. And so we put on layers and layers of protection and defense and armor, some of which gets in the way of us truly living and us truly being ourselves. And so today we're going to talk about what it is to truly live and not just live to avoid hurt, but just to live. And so we're going to read a story that, that comes from the Gospel of Luke. Luke tells this great story about a woman who chooses that she wants to live and live well when it wouldn't have been easy to do so. And so I want you to read with me from Luke chapter 8. We're going to read verses 40 through 48. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And just then there came a man named Jairus, a leader of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, who was dying. And as he went, the crowds pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. And though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. And she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhages stopped. Then Jesus asked, Who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you, and they press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I noticed that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to talk this morning about several types of courages. This story is filled with courage, and we're going to talk about five in particular today. The first of which is the courage to show up. There's been moments in our lives where we're afraid of things, we're afraid of people, we're afraid of being let down, we're afraid of failure, and we don't want to show up. It's like, I got that invitation. Uh, I'll say, oh, yeah, I, I think I can make it. And then there's no intention of actually making it to this place. But this is a story that begins with a lot of people are present to Jesus. 
He had just been on the other side of the lake, the, the story of the man who was possessed and the, and the herd of the pigs and, and, and all of that wild story has just happened. He's returned back to his normal side of the sea and all of the people are waiting for him. And it says all of the crowds welcomed him and they're pressing in on him. It's getting tighter and tighter and tighter and more and more people are trying to get close to Jesus. And one person in particular is able to get close to him, probably because of his position. It says that the synagogue leader, Jairus, comes forward to Jesus because he's pleading with him. He has an only daughter who's 12 years old and she's dying and he would do anything he can to get to Jesus and he's at his feet, please heal my daughter. And in the midst of crowds wanting Jesus and in the midst of this this well-respected man being at Jesus' feet, this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years decides, I am still showing up. I know there's everybody else is here, but I will do all that I can. I have to get to Jesus. And so she goes to Jesus, but we can't miss that there are other things that would want to keep her away from Jesus in this story. For us, when we hear about people with medical problems, we're like, that sounds physically really exhausting. That sounds painful. I'm so sorry you're going through that. But she lives in a culture that has Levitical codes that say that if you are bleeding in this way, you have to be an outsider. You can't stay in the community. You're going to mess everybody else's relationship up with God. If you touch someone, they have to leave for the night. If you're bleeding long enough, well, maybe then they have to stay away for a week. There's different kinds of procedures. And so you need to stay away from the community. You need to stay outside of it. You need to announce yourself. And so this woman who's anonymously walking through the crowds, touching all sorts of people on that path, is doing all that she can to show up, even though society would tell her she is incredibly wrong for having even been there. But she had the courage to show up that day. She also had another kind of courage. She had the kind of courage to persist. It is so easy in life when things don't work out to immediately give up. Say, I I gave it a try. You know, we did that once. Didn't work. Move on. But this woman showed up. She had been sick for 12 years. And it said that she had gone to physicians and that no one had been able to help her said that she spent all of her money. I kind of like the, the New King James Version says she spent all of her livelihood. I feel like that extra little tidbit about all of her money feels very true. When you've given up all of your money for your health and you have nothing left, how are you supposed to live? But she kept trying. And I don't know how she spent all of this money. It could be that the most elite doctors, the best medical care costs the most money. But there are also the quack doctors who try to take advantage of the poor and those who were just looking for any potential chance of healing. And maybe people took her money without, they already knew they couldn't help her. Whether the people knew they could or, or couldn't, whatever their, the doctor's situation, she's given everything that she has, but she still hasn't given up. She persists. And so she still keeps coming She's looking for more. And she shows up into the story and she's given all that she has, which means that she had the courage to value herself even when her bank account was empty. Because you might wonder, well, if this woman is going to show up to Jesus, she's already gone to every other doctor. She's spent all of her money. 
how is she going to pay for the health care plan that Jesus is about to offer her? She goes empty-handed. Well, what am I going to trade with you? What am I going to give you for, if you can heal me, what, what do I have to offer? And there's plenty of people in life who say, well, you know, you've spent everything. You have nothing left. Well, well, maybe you have nothing to offer. But she is still valuable as a person. She still matters. She still sees that her own life, her own healing is worth it. And she's going to still show up to see what might happen. And so what's beautiful in this story is that she values herself but God also valued her. Jesus isn't even aware at the moment that she's healed, but he's, I felt the power of God. Something, God has just done something. We got to figure out what that is. But apparently God agreed with this woman that she deserved more in her life. The crowds probably wouldn't have agreed, but just the touch of Jesus at a distance you kind of get the sense that you know, they're passing by and maybe I can just grasp at him. Just that touch, God heals this woman of her, her physical condition. There's still more healing needed for her in the rest of her life, but her physical injury, her physical ailment is fixed in that very instant. And so God looks at her and does not have any barriers to his divine power and love and care for her. She was valued as she was when she seemed like she felt like she was empty handed. And so in the story, Jesus is like, Hey, I, God just did something. Who touched me? And it feels a little bit like Jesus is a little bit like, uh, you know, we're talking about middle schoolers and high schoolers, you know, when they get home at night and mom is waiting and nothing is getting past mom, there's a little bit of, how is it Jesus? How did you know something happened, Jesus? Wait, wh- how are you so perceptive? And Jesus is like, somebody touched me. And Peter is like, look around. Everybody touched you. We're in a crowd. Of, of course somebody touched you. It's okay. Let's move on. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Somebody touched me, and I felt God's power did something. Jesus wants to pause. Say, like, okay, if God has done something, we should figure out what that is. Let's not run past it. Let's not move on. But nobody in the crowd knows why Jesus is so interested in who touched him. All right, they're just like, wait, Jesus is like, uh, you know, some people are very germaphobe, like, I, please, I don't want to shake hands, no hugs, please, I, I don't even want to fist bump, please, I, I don't want to be touched. And maybe they're thinking, Jesus is really concerned, like he wants his space. But it says in the text that when Jesus says someone touched me, that they all denied it. And that includes the woman who definitely touched him, who definitely was healed, but also other people in the crowd. There's no way nobody touched Jesus on this day. Peter has just said, everybody's touched you. It's okay. But everybody denied it. Nobody wanted to be the person that stepped up and said, I'll admit to it. Jesus, sorry, I touched you. But in the story, this woman shows a new courage, a courage to stand out, a courage to be vulnerable. And so the woman saw that she could not remain hidden. She came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people 
why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. The woman did not stand out because she thought it was going to be fine. She didn't stand out thinking, oh, this is going to go really well for me. She's trembling and she goes in front of Jesus and falls at his feet and and explains not just what she's done, but why she's done it. Her inward emotions and motivations, her outward actions, and she lays herself out there to, to let people know what has happened. The crowd, on hearing this story, could have imagined a few things. So let me get this right, lady. You have been bleeding for 12 years. And you just showed up here and didn't announce yourself. You've been touching all of us. You touched Jesus. How dare you? Perhaps the synagogue leader, he's longing to be healing for his daughter. But perhaps the synagogue leader is thinking as the person who was the usual person to manage the boundary lines. The synagogue leader managed what is clean and unclean and what ritual practices you needed to do to be cleaned after you've been unclean. He's the person that manages this whole function. And in this story, he's right next to Jesus. And Jesus is standing there saying, who touched me? This woman says, I'm unclean and I touched him. Perhaps Jairus is thinking, I can't believe she did that. Or maybe he's thinking, I know the exact exact ritual we should do to make this clean. Who knows what the disciples are thinking? I always enjoy their little inputs like Peter earlier. I wonder what you're going to do now, Jesus. Let's, let's see what's going to happen. But you can imagine the woman is expecting to be rebuked and mistreated, neglected, like people have treated her, I'm sure, in her life. As someone who's been bleeding for 12 years, she probably is used to people keeping their distance, pushing her away, overlooking her. And it's in that moment, Jesus turns to her, and the first word is daughter. Not outcast, you wretch, you awful person, daughter. You are a family member, a family member of God, a family member of Israel. You belong. You don't belong on the edge and outside. You're, you're a part of us, daughter. Your faith has made you well. There's a couple opportunities to understand what this means. Did her faith make her well when she touched Jesus earlier in the story? Because she showed up, she, she had the courage to do so. She reached out to Jesus. He healed her. Maybe that's when her faith made her well. Maybe her faith made her well when she stepped out in front of everybody and told her story. Because even though her physical ailment is fixed in the story, she still has social alienation that she's dealing with. And while she was expecting Jesus' rebuke, perhaps, that he would have been completely within his rights in that society to to be frustrated, to, to rebuke her in this moment, he instead chooses this moment to raise her up in this community and let her know that they have no problems. Peace be with you. We have no conflict. We have no, uh, nothing that needs to be resolved. You are okay. Go in peace. And I'm not just saying it for the woman in front of me who needs to hear it. I'm also saying it for the crowds who need to understand it too. Daughter, your faith has made you well go in peace. Who knows what the crowd's responses are to that? If they're bitter and they're kind of like, ah, I, I don't want to live in peace of this. I, how dare Jesus do this? We don't know if they're 
their imaginations are awakened of who they may be, could offer that kind of peace to who they could could respond in kind with. But the woman, the crowd, everyone in the story is changed because of courage. Jesus took the courage to bless her in that moment. There's a lot of opportunities when people maybe have wronged us or maybe it's neutral things and they've inconvenienced us or whatever it is that you can choose to be cruel and harsh and cold or you can choose to pronounce words of life and blessing over someone. And then no matter what the crowds expected him to say, no matter what the synagogue leader, Jesus chose to bless. And that's beautiful. And so I wonder what it might mean for us to have this kind of courage today. What would it be for us to have the courage to show up? Now, you all have shown up here today And I think a part of why you've shown up here is you are longing for God to heal maybe what feels broken or to help you thrive, to help you grow beyond where you are in this moment. And so I hope that you see that the decision you make in your life is a courage to show up to something. But I'm sure there are also some things in our lives that we are avoiding. There might be the person that you're like, you know, I... I just don't really want to deal with this right now. There might be a situation, uh, a challenge. And what would it be to take the courage to go about trying to heal those broken things? And so if you're sitting there thinking, I don't want to be thinking about this, but I'm thinking about it, maybe that's God nudging you today to show up to whatever that is. Maybe God is inviting you to have the courage to persist. You've been thinking about giving up, or there's something that you've long given up on that God wants you to revisit. Maybe something that you took failure too quickly on. And and when we fail at something, it doesn't mean we have to revisit in the exact same way. Maybe we reshape it, we learn from it, we we switch it up some, but but maybe you've given up on something and God is inviting you to be courageous and to keep trying to keep persisting today. Maybe some of you have soured on your own value, your own worth. You've let the other people who've talked poorly about you take root in your own heart. And maybe we have to have the courage to see our own value today, the way that God sees us. You might feel worthless, and God might say to you, daughter, son, your family, you belong. And so if you feel alienated, if you feel alone, maybe God is inviting you to belong today and to realize that that your story matters, that your health, your healing, your life matters to God. Maybe you have the courage today to stand out, to be vulnerable. It is not easy to do that. Uh, there's a, a researcher, uh, Brene Brown, who tells a has an image that I I can't ever get out of my head. And she talks about the image of a 20-ton shield. She says that one of the things that we do is we think if we get this giant shield, maybe no one will hurt me. So we build up these giant walls. We build up these giant shields of of all sorts of things that we think will protect us. Shields of perfectionism or uh, where maybe if I just try to be as perfect as possible, maybe it's a shield of cynicism of if I just act like everything's worthless and nothing matters. Maybe it's a shield of indifference. 
Or maybe it's a shield of if I have enough money, then I'll be happy. Maybe it's a shield of I'm going to turn off all emotions. I'm never going to feel again. But we have this 20-ton shield that we feel like will keep us from being hurt. But in reality, it keeps you from being seen. Because you're just blocking everything out. And we can't live truly in hiding. It's like the earliest story of the, of the Bible is the story of when Adam and Eve uh, disobey, they think maybe hiding will fix this. But maybe we need to be seen so we can actually heal and grow into who God has made us into being. And so today, maybe you might be mindful of what you've been shielding yourself with that maybe has gotten in the way. Some of us, if it's, you know, I got hurt, so I'm not going to have any emotion because I don't want to feel bad. But then you're like, you know, I also want to feel joyful. I want to have moments of, of positivity. I want to have moments of hope. And, and when we turn off the emotion valve, we lose all of it, not just the bad, but the good too. And so what shields maybe do you want to let go of today and to try to live freely and lastly, do we have the courage to bless? Your words matter. You might not think your words have the value that they do, but there are people in your life, they don't even have to be people that are high up on the hierarchy of your relationships. Everyday people, that when you choose to say something encouraging, blessing over them, might just change their day. Might just help them keep persisting to keep showing up. And so when it's easy to put down, easy to dismiss, do we have the courage to say, I actually have a good word for you. I have a blessing for you. Hear this. Because all of us know what it's like to want to put up a shield because we're afraid of what's coming our way. But if we start being people who pronounce blessing over each other and over the people that we meet, maybe it will help us to put down those shields and to trust, to hope, to live again. And so maybe as crowds, we might not just be, you know, in the crowds, not knowing what we're doing, just imagining the worst of people, but maybe we might just take people aside and bless them and give them the courage they need to keep going. And so today I, I'm reminded about all of those middle schoolers and high schoolers about to go to do the brave act of walking back into school after the summer. You've had life experiences. You've had changes. Are people going to accept me? Like maybe I've changed in the last couple of months, but, but people are going to think of me as who I was last year. Can I make a new name for myself? Can I live into who I am? Or do I just want to go anonymous today? So many of us choose to be anonymous, choose to hide who we are. And I think back about um, the people out, you know, that I went to school with, that some of the most interesting people uh, they hid who they were because they were afraid their quirks, their strange things would make them be ostracized, laughed at, made fun of. But one of the great things of growing up is looking at each other and going, I didn't know that about you. That's so cool. You have this random interest. That's so interesting. Uh, you know, I had friends who are, you know, they're, they're only on the, they have their quirks to them. Everybody does. And they ended up doing uh, fan fantasy taxidermy. That's definitely different. Uh, people who were silent and then became a part of like sound engineering and like DJing of giant stadiums. And you're like, I had no idea that you had an interest in music. 
But the thing that we were so afraid people would shame us for ends up being the gifts that we have to offer the world. But when we're too scared about what people are going to say or think, we hide it and we keep ourselves from living in the life God has for us. And so whether it's when you're young and in school or you've made it around the sun a few times in life, it is always a wonderful time to choose to be courageous and to step in to what God has for you. And so as we walk in this series through some mental health and faith conversations, I just hope that you take this stance of, of wanting to walk in with courage and hope of what God might do if you say yes to where God is leading you. And so in, in a moment, I'm going to pray, and I just want to invite you to think about what it is God is inviting you into. Because God has more for each of us. And so would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for anyone who feels guilt or shame about the way we have pushed others away, how we've shamed or dismissed people. Lord, we ask your forgiveness. We ask that uh, you might change us, that we might be people who offer blessings instead of guilt. Lord, for anyone who feels like an outsider, who feels cut off, who feels distant either from you or from the people around them. Lord, we ask that your love might just cross those boundaries, that we might be able to live into the community that you have called us to be. Lord, we ask that you might encourage us, that you might lift us up, that we might take strength in you today. Lord, for anyone who feels like they are powerless, that they are at the end of their energy level, that they are about to give up, we ask for the courage to persist and that your spirit might just enliven them today. Lord, we ask for the courage to hope, to dream, to imagine more for ourselves and those around us, and then we might just live into the life you have for us. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.